Now, it's interesting, as we take a look, uh, we were, Tom and I, we were at the, getting things ready as people were gathering, and I, I, said, uh, I said to Tom, you know, it's amazing, uh, we've just finished Second Thessalonians, and we're starting a new book, First Timothy. Can you believe that? And do you know something about First Timothy? And before I could even finish... He says, I know it's your favorite book. I know, I know. I, I got you, I got you. And it's true. It's my favorite book. And I hope it's going to be yours as well as we study this book, the first and second Timothy. It's going to be awesome. And as we look at the scripture here, you can look at verse 1 of 1 Timothy and you can see right, right there in the very beginning, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. We can see right up front that First and Second Timothy is the author is uh, Paul himself, uh, and so we can find that both in the first verse of First Timothy and the Second Timothy, the very first verse, gives us who the author is as we study this. And Paul, if you remember, wrote three types of letters, and we see in the Scripture, we see the travel letters that he wrote, and that's which he wrote while he was on his missionary trips. And then we see the, the prison letters when he wrote those while when he was incarcerated. And then we see uh, the pastoral letters. And there's three pastoral letters, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus. And we will see one, we start one of the, of the two uh, pastoral letters that he wrote instructing very specific individuals after he was released from prison. And so we will see and start that today. Now, here in 1 Timothy, it is the first of his three pastoral letters, like I said. But Paul mostly wrote this probably right there from in Macedonia around A.D. 62 and as to 64 while he was on his third missionary trip. And, uh, but we're not 100% sure when that happened. But it pretty much, if you look at the scriptures, that's pretty much the time frame. In, but in regards to 2 Timothy, it doubles most not only a pastoral letter, but it also uh, serves as a prison letter as well. Because he um, wrote this uh, while in prison in Rome. And Paul was giving advice on church leadership and doctoral concerns. And we will get to that after we finish 1 Timothy. It's also, in 2 Timothy, Paul's most personal letter. Why is it his most personal letter? Where, why is it seems to be expressing his deep love for the church, his deep admiration for his friend, his son of the, in the faith, Timothy? And the letter is it's because... This was probably his last letter that he wrote before he was executed, and that would be t putting him somewhere around A.D. 66 and A.D. or A.D. 67. Now, as we take a look at 1 Timothy, it's broken up into three parts for the first chapter. We will see in verses 1 through 11 a warning of Paul, how important it is to guard the faith. And then we'll see verses 12 through 17, the witness of Paul. And then lastly, verses 19 through, or 18 through 20, the wisdom of Paul. And so as we follow along, we're only going to take the first part today, verses 1 through 11, regarding the guarding the faith. And it's a warning of Paul to young Timothy, young pastor in the, in the ministry, as we will see. Now, we will see Paul asking Timothy to stay on, a, on the job as the pastor in Ephesus. 
And he's going to encourage him and urge him to continue to be the pastor for that church in Ephesus, even though it was going to be very, very, very difficult because of a lot of the false teachers creeping in and, and teaching all kinds of bad things and trying to manipulate and change the Christian church there, a new church that's been established by Paul and Timothy. And if it was like today, can you imagine? Can you imagine? If all of a sudden we find out that Jesus Christ has put out an ad or a, 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 a job description to be in the ministry. Can you imagine if he sat there and said there's a pastoral position that is writing for an opening is ready for you. And he writes this out and it says something like this. It's a pastoral advertisement. It says it reads it says um, advertising for ministry workers. The amount, the, 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 the qualifications or expectations that you can expect is wanting a, of a difficult task of building or help building my church. You will often be misunderstood and, and by some will be critical against you, even by those who are working most closely with you. You will face constant attack from an invisible enemy. You may not see the results of your labor and your, your full reward will not come until after your work is completed. It, must, it may cost you your home, your friends, your interests, and personal goals, and even your life. How many people would actually apply for that position? But we will find that many apply for that position to be a minister of Christ and serve him in the capacities of a pastor. Or a position of where you're ministering to other people as a servant. But in spite of the demands that Jesus Christ expects of his leaders and his pastors and those he calls to serve him in the capacities within the church, many apply with gladness to apply for that position to serve God. He is no doubt the greatest master, the greatest boss you can have, or whoever can have, in regards to doing the tasks that God's called them to do. He's going to be faithful. He'll be consistent. He will never leave you or forsake you. And so we see that in the task of building his church, it is certainly the greatest challenge to which a believer could give his life to do for Christ. And that is what Paul is reminding Timothy through these two letters to him is to remind him of the pastoral calling on his life and that regardless of how he feels and regardless of the situations and regardless of those who's going to be the closest to him will turn on him and become critical toward him, he is to stay consistently showing up to do the work that God called him to do and let God deal with those people and the false teachers and the situations and those who become bitter and critical toward him. Don't be swayed from what God's called you to do in the, in the ministry. And so this is what we will see in this letter because Timothy is one young man who responded to Christ's call on his life to help build God's church. He was one of the Apostle Paul's special assistant pastors, his right-hand man who never turned against him. Timothy never turned against Paul. He was always faithful against Paul, even with all the challenges that Paul had as a 
a man who who was you know learning and growing and maturing in the ministry as well. Remember, he comes from a really bad past. If you remember, he hated Christians. <laughs> he was caught up in the the Jewish legalism. I mean, he was. This was a transformation of this man. And can you imagine being your right hand man coming along with this side, this man in the ministry and going out in the missionary fields and being imprisoned, right? You're being, he's thrown and being in prison. You're associated with that man. Can you imagine the, the potential of you being thrown in prison as well, being your right-hand man of that man? So this was not easy. We, we miss all the, sometimes the details behind the scenes that we don't get to see in the scriptures that they had to deal with. But he was that special right-hand man, that pastor that did not turn, just like Titus did not turn against Paul, who's the head of the church there. Now we see here in verse 1, Paul, the, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the commandment of God our Savior and the Lord Jesus Christ our hope. So we see here that Paul is self-describing who he is. It's writing this letter. Remember the, the initial of the letters are always put up front of who wrote that letter and who he write, who's, he's writing the letter to. So here we know that Paul is saying, I'm the apostle. Well, Sometimes you'll ask, well, Timothy knew who he was. Why did he have to tell Timothy, I'm the apostle? Remember, the letter wasn't written just for Timothy. It was written for the church to know as well. So this gives credibility for Timothy as he reads this letter to the people there in Ephesus who wrote the letter. So the, the authority. And so we see here not only the fact that he is an apostle, but notice here the authority given to him by the commandment of God. Now, some of you are going, that's different. I don't remember. I thought it was by the will of God. You would be correct in all of his other letters because that's how he signed it. Paul the Apostle, by the will of God. Here, it wasn't by the will of God. This is beyond the will of God. That's like, oh, like saying, I, I think I want to do this for God. By the, by, by the will of God, I'm going to be able to do this. It, you know, it, we'll see how it's going to work out. No, no, Paul's writing saying, this is not by the will of God. Yes, it's by the will. That's a given. But this is by the command of God. This is not negotiable. That is what he's saying here, the strong word. This, what I'm about to write, is non-negotiable. You must, Timothy, do the following. This is by the command of God. And that's very important because Paul wants to encourage young Timothy to continue to be a pastor in a very difficult church situation that he finds himself in, in a culture that is completely against the church. So this letter could be used not only to encourage uh, Timothy, but also encourage and give credibility or strength behind the scenes for, uh, for Timothy to be in command. It's a command of God, his Savior, our Savior, to guard the faith. You must do this. You have, it's non-negotiable. You must guard the faith. You cannot allow these false teachers to come in and to change the biblical truths that have been presented to you. Do you know you and I must guard the faith? You cannot sway from the word of God. You cannot add or delete from the word of God. You must stay true to the word of God. We, we spent some time on Wednesday nights through the discipleship journey. How important to keep the truth and to teach the truth and stay focused on the truth. Because if you don't, you'll become very weak in your walk. And when you become very weak, you will affect 
You'll become a sick sheep and you will affect other sheep. And so you must be guarded. And Paul is saying that to Timothy. Because it seems that in 1 Timothy, he was, it was written, obviously, by Apostle Paul to Timothy. And sometime after his release from Roman prison, we find in, uh, in the book of Acts that in, uh, in Macedonia here, he's writing this. Apparently, again, was, he was hoping for his release. If you want to go back to Philemon chapter 22 and Philippians Chapter 1, if you go back to, um, uh, I think, the second part of uh, first, uh, first chapter and second chapter of uh, Philippians, you will find this hope for him to come back to Ephesus, to come back and support First Timothy, to be back after this prison moment here and return to the city of Ephesus to help him. But we'll find that he discovered that when he did go back, because I believe when you read the scripture, he did go back to Ephesus after being released. And when he walked into that church, it was almost like a tornado alley that just went sweeping through the church there of all these false teachers. All of a sudden, he's looking going, what happened? All this destruction to the left and to the right of me here is because this tornado of false teaching was was sadly actually fulfilled in the prediction that Paul said, if you remember, back in Acts chapter 20, verses 29 and, 23, uh, 29 and 30. He says, when I leave, false teachers are going to sweep in through here. Do you remember that? And now he's coming out, of, uh, coming out of prison, going back to Ephesus, wanting to love on the people and encourage them. And what does he find? This tornado of false teachers just sweeping through the church. Is it happening today? Unbelievable. It is absolutely incredible. Back then, you know, Ephesus knew what Ephesus was, right? The church over in Philippi and all these churches, you only knew what was going on in your little community unless someone brought a letter or someone came from there and said, you won't believe the craziness that's happening in the churches over in Philippi or over in Macedonia or Ephesus, whatever it may be. For you and I today, it is a, it's a one search away. You know what I'm saying? You go and search away, and even things are pushed to you through Facebook, pushed to you through different medias to tell you some of the craziness that's going on, and it's a tornado ripping through the churches of false teaching. Hello? Are you with me? So you must be guarded because you can sit there and go, I, I, I don't know what's going on. I love being in the North Country. I go to these pastors' conferences, and I hear what's going on across the country. And I'm sitting there, and I look at it. i just like, I'm so glad I'm not having to deal with the things that are going on in these other places. This is insanity to me. Can't you just love the people and teach the word and just keep it simple and just love the Lord and serve the Lord? Why does it have to be complex? Why does it have to be so allowing and get caught up into these trivial things that these churches are getting caught up in? Just stay true to the word of God. Just follow the word. Be obedient to the word of God. It's not complex. Not always simple. <laughs> not always easy, I should say. It's simple. It's just not always easy. Because we get our minds wrapped up in what other people are doing versus what God wants you to do. A very simple life of living for him. But he, Paul reminds him he's, a, he's our Savior. Many times people think Jesus in heaven is pleading with God the Father to love us. Oh, Father, please love those people down there. I know they're crazy and everything's struggling, and they're, but you need to love them, Father. That's how many people think. 
that, that God the Father is just a, only one strike of a way to torch you because you're just not obedient every moment of the day. But that is not scriptural, my brothers and sisters. Why do we know that? Because remember, God is the one in John 3, 16, for God so loved the world, right? God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So anytime you think, oh, the father's just probably ready to rip me up because I messed up. No, that's not true. That's just the enemy. That's just your flesh raising up because that's how you would act. That's not how your heavenly father acts. He loved you so much before you even gave your life to Christ. He sent his son for you. That's how much he loves you. So remind yourself that the Heavenly Father loves you. And don't let anyone or anything else sway you from that. Because God's desire was to save you. Remember, at the end of part of, of, of John 3, 16, whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So our Heavenly Father, from the very beginning of time, loved you, his creation, to worship him and to love, to respond to that love that he has for you and for to save you from this fallen world. Do you know that? You must understand that. Because so many people I talk to still think the Heavenly Father is just one moment away to smack your upside the head. Now, some of you deserve it. Don't get me wrong with that. I mean, I think that sometimes. No, I don't. Not really. Maybe. Because you're not listening to what God has for you. You're not being obedient to what God has for you. And I just want to get... Do you realize the consequences if you do not follow God and do it his way? What the consequences on your life? But even more, those around you, your spouse, your children, your family, because you are so selfish, you don't want to change? What's going on, man? It's craziness. Romans 1.16 for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. God loves you and provides a way for you to enjoy his presence and is in abiding with him eternally. He made a way for you and I to abide with him eternally in his love. Have you chosen that for yourself? Have you chosen him? Did you respond to when he knocked on the door of the heart? Did you open up your life and say, take over, let you be master, you be in control of my life? Have you done that? If you haven't done that, I pray today's the day of salvation for you. Because you're missing out on eternal love from God. Not only is our Savior, but we see at the very end there, Lord Jesus Christ, our hope. What is that hope? Paul is bringing the attention and reminder to those who are reading this letter, especially to Timothy. Remember, this is the fulfillment of God's salva salvation or saving plan in Christ. We were saved because of Christ. And don't forget that. As we press forward, 1 Peter 1.3 
Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We have living hope, my brothers and sisters. Do not forget that, even with the just craziness that is going on in our world today, and will go and will be coming more crazy in days to come and years to come. Just remember, we have the living hope. Apart from Christ, you have no living hope. You may try to convince yourself of that. But I'm just telling you what the scripture says. You do not have eternal living hope. Are you with me? Are you tracking with me? That's why we can stand stable when the, the world around us is unstable. We stand fast. We stand firm. We know where our home is. We know what's going to happen next. And, and we don't have these concerns. It's only when we get ourselves wrapped up into the things of the world and desire more of the world than heaven that you can become very emotionally swayed. Let me be gentle with those words. <laughs> very gentle. Luke 21, 28. Now when these things begin to happen, what are we to do? Look up. We are to look up. We are to look up and lift up your heads because your redemption draws near. Now, that, that's my favorite verse these days. I just keep looking up because I know my Lord is coming back for me. He's going to take the church out of here because as we see the times and the seasons, it speaks to the scriptures of what it will be like, like the days of Noah. And there's some people are like, even as Christians, are blinded to what is going on. Because it is times and seasons like this that we find ourselves in the, this world, in this, in this nation. It really brings to light to those who are heavenly minded versus worldly minded. For those who are truly walking to the courting of the ways of the Lord are walking according to the ways of themselves or the world. And I do pray for you as a, as a brother, as a sister, if you are thinking differently than the scripture, <laughs> you're not abiding in Christ. I, I, I'm being as, as, as gentle as I can be with you right now. You're, you cannot say you're abiding in Christ when you live a life that goes contrary to the life of Christ. Do you understand that? Half obedience is full disobedience. And so we must stay focused on the truths of God and by the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit to continue to live a life that is honoring and pleasing to God. That is what's important for us, especially in these days, because it will and it can be and it certainly ha will play out, as the scripture says, it will become more intense for us as a Christian in days to come. But do not fear, the Lord says. I have overcome the world. Don't forget that truth. That's a promise for you and I we can hold on to. And live a joyful, peaceful, content life in Christ. 
Yes, even through the difficult times ahead. In verse 2, to Timothy, a true son in the faith. Notice that, a true son in the faith. He was a spiritual son in the faith. He was one of those young men that Paul says, that's my son. And that we've been blessed because I've had many spiritual sons over the years of being able to lead them to Christ, just disciple them in the scriptures, many long nights around the coffee table, ministering hours into the wee hours of the morning to disciple them, encourage them to walk according to the ways of God. And God has brought them in our lives. And it, I understand what Paul is saying here, the true son in the face, someone who's like-minded, someone who's right there wanting to serve God and be there and to live a life that's pleasing to God and he says by grace and mercy and peace from God our father and and Jesus Christ our Lord so we see here Timothy was a resident in Lystra if you remember and Paul came across him and his mother and his grandmother there in the city in the province of Galatia we see that in Acts 16 verses 1 through 3 and he was a uh, had a father of a Greek father and he had a, uh, a Jewish mother Eunice we see that in 2 Timothy 2.5 and he had a grandmother that was involved in, in t young Timothy's life as well and we can see that the mother and the grandmother trained up and taught young Timothy the scriptures of the Old Testament in 2 Timothy 1.5 and 2 Timothy 3.15 but here comes Paul into town. He meets Paul, and Paul shares the gospel, leads him, and encourages him in the walk with Christ, and he becomes that spiritual son that he's... Paul knew that God brought this young Timothy in his life, and he was going to give his life to Timothy and do whatever he can, whatever it is that Timothy needed, he was going to do for that young man. And that's what we see in that relationship and how wonderful it is to be able to do that uh, even in your life. And I pray that God brings someone in your life that you get to minister to and pour your life into. Not only your own kids, but sons and daughters in the faith into your life. It is the most wonderful and challenging thing you'll ever do. And it's a great, it's, it, is, it is an incredible thing to do. But here we know in the scripture as well that Paul and Timothy were so tight in the ministry that they were like-minded as Timothy was like-minded as Paul thought in regards to ministry. It wasn't these two people trying to work together in ministry, but no, Paul said it very clearly that he had this, this young man, Timothy, coming alongside him, his right-hand man, and they were like-minded and they were working and Timothy was there to help Paul to continue to to do what God's called him to do. And if God calls you into the ministry, he puts a special calling on your life, a special burden on your life to be in the ministry, to help to, to continue what God's called to do, to build his church. There are times when then that you'll find as you're in the ministry, God will, there people will come and say, I want to be in the ministry with you, and I want to follow you in the ministry with you, and I want to do this, and this is really exciting. But when things get difficult, <laughs> you're like, I really? I don't, want to, this, I, don't, I don't want to pay the price that is going to come along with that. And they'll leave. Or sometimes you'll come in and you'll be alongside, I'm with you, I want to help you in the ministry, and come along. But then over time, it doesn't line up with what they want to do. And how they want to do it. 
And then they become bitter and they become resentful and they come against you in the ministry. And those things happen. But not for Timothy. Paul and Timothy, Timothy never strayed being like-minded and moving forward in the ministry to help Paul in doing what he's doing. Even to the point, as we see in the, in the in first and second Timothy, Paul says, you must stay in Ephesus. Even though we will see that Timothy probably wanted to flee emphasis and not want to be there and be the pastor there. But he did it because that is what Paul needed for him to do. And he was willing to go beyond his feelings, beyond the things and struggles, and actually do it. Why? Because they had the same vision and the same burden in the ministry. And what is that? To be a servant of all. To be a servant. Many people in the ministry today do not want to be a servant to all. They're getting in the ministry so they can make money and make something for themselves, a name for themselves. To have their, this unique personality, this unique message that he, they believe God has given them. To go out and to just write their books and to sell the things and they need a congregation to kind of buy their books to keep them, get them going and stuff like that. And that is very prevalent back in those days and is still prevalent in these days. That they have not a message of a servanthood. They, wanted to be, they want to be served. And that's not the vision that God has for us. That's not how... Jesus did not lord over people. He served people. That's what a ministry is, is, is a servant, not to be served. And so we find here that Timothy was like-minded with Paul, and it's only by the grace and the mercy and the peace. Now, some of you are going to sit there and go, well, that's unique because Paul's letters normally only say grace and peace, right? We've studied the scriptures, grace and peace. But here, he adds the word mercy. It's probably because pastors need mercy from God more than anybody else. Why? Because of the things that God's called them to do and the struggles and the spiritual warfare that comes along being in the ministry. So the only time you see Paul's writings where he says grace, mercy, and peace are only in the pastoral letters. The rest of them where he's just writing to the congregation as a whole is just grace and peace. But here we see grace, mercy, and peace. And then we see in here in verse 3, as I urge you, when I went to, into Macedonia, remain in Ephesus that you may charge some that they teach no other doctrine. So the thing that Paul is saying to Timothy, I need you to stay in Ephesus because of the false teachers. It's really bad, and I need, to, I need you to charge them. It's a, it's a military term. It is a term that comes from the superior of officers to the lower ranks. It says, you must do. I charge you to do the following. And what they're to do is what? Be obedient to that charge, right? Paul is saying to Timothy, this is what I need you to do. I need you to go to these false teachers and charge them to teach them not to go to any other doctrine that is, that's like a wind coming through the place. There's winds of doctrines even still today go through churches. How does that happen? Because someone read a book that wasn't scriptural, and then they turn around and start sharing it with all the ladies 
and then you're sitting there, and as, 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 a, as a pastor, I am to then, if I hear that, come there and then de- delicately and gently let you know that is a false teaching book and you should not be. And people get upset with that. Well, that's what God's charged me to do. Like Timothy, I need to, he's charged to what? Go tell those who are teaching falsely to stop, get out of here, and to encourage those who start listening to this false doctrine, please don't listen to that false teaching. He, is, he has to do it. And that's not easy work. That's not easy to be in the ministry to turn around to guard the faith by coming to someone you love who's a brother and sister and let them know, stop teaching that. Stop reading that person. Stop watching them because they're false teachers. It's not easy to say that because you take it personal. But that's what I'm charged to do is to warn you. Paul was warning Timothy and warning those who read this letter, stop listening to the false doctrine that is being spread throughout the church. It's going to hurt you. It's not going to help you whatsoever. But Paul told them to remain in Ephesus. You need to be charged to go out and do the hard work here. It's so important. As Paul says here, doctrine is, is vitally important to God. God's doctrine, God's truth is very important to God. And you and I have no right to change God's doctrine. Do you understand that? You have no right to do that. If you do, you've been warned in the scriptures, there will be judgment that comes upon you. Why? Because it's important to God that it's important to us. And what one believes today, what, who, if you believe something that is doctrinally true, you're on track, my brothers and sisters. But if you deviate and listen to false teaching because it just sounds good, it's clever little words and manipulative words that they use in their teaching methodology and it really entertains you, if it goes against the scripture, it will hurt you. But the problem is I see today is that when you talk to people about doctrinal things, it's very unimportant to people. Do you know that? I know you're like, oh, that's not true because it's very important to me. Yes, that's why you're here. You understand that's why you're here. But those who come here and they do not want to hear the solid biblical teaching of the word of God verse by verse, they can't handle this truth. They will always go find a church that is more entertaining and more loose and just allows you to have the freedom to do and live however you want to because there is no There's no conviction in your life when you go to those churches because it's all entertaining. It's all all very cotton candy-like moment. It's so so taste, but there's no substance. And so Paul is saying here, it's it's very important, but surprisingly in today's Christian world, and again, what we've been dealing with over the last several months and, and see today, you see how people have made decisions in their life that are not doctrinally sound. Why? Because it's unimportant to them compared to what they want in their further life. Do you see the difference? I hope you do. Why? Because the modern age in this Christian life is very heavily influenced by modern Christians. We live in a day when Pilate's question, remember the about Pilate's question in John 18, 38? What is truth? Do you remember that question? Well, 
The question is answered today. It doesn't matter. Whatever it means to you, it means to you, and you get to to define that. That's what you see today when you ask Christians, what is truth? My truth and your truth, it's all the same. My God, that God, every God, they're all the same. All roads lead to heaven. You hear it over and over in different ways, but it's the same false understanding. But truth is important to God, and it should be important to us. I can't put it any simpler than that. See, he says that you're charged to do this, Timothy. Why? Because it's not an option to correct bad doctrine in some of these people in Ephesus who seems to grab a hold of this false teaching. It's not an option. It's a command. You must, as a pastor, correct. I, too, as a pastor, am commanded to correct what I hear. I don't look for it. I don't have to look for these false teachings. It comes so clear and up so fast, it's, it's shocking. But if I don't do anything about it, then I, I have chosen the option road, which is not what God's called me to do. I'm commanded to make sure I warn you, as Paul warns Timothy and others, that is false teaching. And let me show you in the scripture why that's false teaching, so that you can make a decision if you want to correct or not. It's important. You will have people in your life that you're going to be discipling. Your children, in the family unit, maybe a a friend or someone's come alongside you and said, can you help me? I I want to know more about God. You have no option to teach, let them waddle into and wander into false teaching. If God has brought it clear to you that they're doing something wrong against the word, you have a a commandment to lovingly, gently come alongside and encourage them to do it God's way. Are you with me? Because God has obviously brought you in that person's life to do that. Again, you don't have to look for it. Don't go look for it. You're not... You're not, look, it, it, trust me, people will just say things to you and you'll go, oh, interesting, very interesting, you know. And you look for those opportunities. You start praying, God, give me an opportunity if it's not me, someone else to, to do that, to try to, to, to help them. But there's the, that's the command that God has given to Paul. Remember, God had committed the truth of the word of God to Paul. We see that in verse 11. And then Paul had to commit and be committed to to tell Timothy or teach and train Timothy up to do the same thing. We see that in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 20. And then Timothy was then responsible to guard that faith as well, and he was to then pass it on. We see that in 2 Timothy 1.14, and he was to pass it along to faithful people. We see that in 2 Timothy 2.2. That is how it works. God gives you the truth. You are then to disciple and give others the truth. They turn around and go turn around and share the truth. And it continues. That's how we're to do it. Verse 4. Nor give heed to fables or endless genealogies which cause disputes rather than godly edification which is in, the, which is in faith. So not only was the false teaching going on in regards to the doctrine, but all kinds of fables and endless genealogy pursuits 
were getting mixed up into the, into the churches. They were, they were pursuing, oh, did you see this genealogy? And if you follow the genealogy and, and do this, and, and you look at the Greek and the Latin, and you do this, and if you stand on your head, and you could probably see how the numbers would line up, and, and it, oh, that's 666 because of that. I mean, you get wrapped up into all kinds of craziness out there. And it just, it's their fables. They're not truth. They're babbling. They're just, they're just literally babbling about things of unimportant stuff. Like, did Adam have a belly button? Do you see if you spend time just pondering on the, Adam had a belly button? How foolish and waste of time that it could be. But that's what was happening in the churches. It wasn't some elaborate anti-Jesus theology rising up in Ephesus here. It was the more the fact that they were emphasizing the wrong things in the church. I think I should be entertained. And so the Ephesus becomes strictly the music. Or it's, it, 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 we were going to talk about just prophecy, and it becomes a prophecy church, and it's all just nothing but prophecy, week in and week after, and you don't talk about anything of the rest of the scriptures. Or you can become very political, and all you talk about is politics, week in and week out in the church. Or it can, it, whatever it is. I didn't say those things are not right. Those are important things we need to understand, but they can't turn into fables and endless genealogy tracings down because I'm a Paul and you're, a, you know, you're trying to pick sides and, oh, what genealogy do you, tribe do you come from and where are you from and, and what's your background and how did you... These things can really cause, as we see Paul says, cause disputes rather than godly edification, which is in faith. Faith in who? Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. We must keep our eyes on Jesus, especially when crazy things are going on. Because many Christians today do not know that they're in a battle, in a battle for the faith. That they're in battle for the truth. Most Christians, unless you're walking strong with the Lord, you say, oh, as long as it doesn't affect me, I'm just fine. No, my brothers and sisters, you're not just fine. Because all around you, your brothers or sisters are dropping like flies because they've got caught up in false doctrines or got caught up into the fables and these endless genealogy, these endless foolish kinds of talk and, and emphasis on mystic readings of the Old Testament genealogies or, or some Jewish type legalism or you can only go to church on Saturdays and not Sundays and you get all kinds of things that can get, become an emphasis that causes you to sway away from that sense of guarding the faith, the truth. Why? Because Back in these days, what they were dealing with was Gnosticism. But that's not really our problem today is Gnosticism. Our problem within the church, this church age, that we're dealing with is more of the, the moral relativism or neo-atheism 
we see played out on TV night after night in some of these cities. Or spiritual liberalism. I'm a Christian, but you live like you're spiritually liberal, meaning you, can, you don't have to follow the scripture. You can do whatever you want to. Or various unbiblical approaches in Christianity. Your approach is not lined up with the scripture. That is the problem that we're dealing with in our culture, in our church age today. And that's happening back then and happening today, but just different things. And it's happening in the churches and outside the churches. Because they've strayed away from the reading of the word and the studying of the word of God. Verse 5, now the purpose of the commandment is what? To get them? <laughs> to strike them? No, Paul says, now the purpose of this commandment I give you is love. Love from a pure heart, Timothy. Love these people with a pure heart, Timothy, from a good conscience and from a sincere faith from which some, having strayed, strayed away from the truth, having turned aside to idle talk, foolish talking, desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor the things which they affirm. So Paul is saying here, the purpose of the law is found in its inward work upon the heart. Not in this outward mirror of, a, of keeping the rules and regulations and checking the things off like a law. I've done it, I've done it, I've done it, I've done it, I've done it. God loves me because I've done it. That's legalism. Because I've done it, I've kept the law Somehow God now loves me. And if I don't keep the law, then God must not love me or won't love me or ready to torch me because I didn't do it. That's legalism, my brothers and sisters. So we have to be very careful that as we, as Timothy looks, as Paul says, as you're looking at the problems in Ephesus, Timothy, and these Jewish type legalistic problems, lines of things start popping up and misunderstanding and, and, and they're trying to teach the law and, be, and, and give command to follow the law. Make sure you stay love from a pure heart and a good conscience and from a sincere faith to, and help those who have strayed away from the truth. Because legalism takes what God's word is and just does this little twist to it. And you can always tell someone who's wrapped up in legalism because you do not see the love of a pure heart coming from them. They have a tendency to be a little, little more cold in their approach to those who are struggling in their walk. They become very, very critical or judgmental instead of loving them and trying to encourage them with a pure heart to come back. And they also have this, instead, a, a good conscience where we always feel condemned by these legalists every time I get around them. They're just constantly condemning me of how I'm trying to, to learn and grow and mature in my, my walk and my faith. Legalists become very condemning. Or 
instead of sincere faith, we practically trust in our own ability to please God versus allowing God to do the work in our lives. We don't do it by faith, we do it by sight. And legalists will always go by sight. They have a hard time doing it by faith. They want to see it all spelled out. They want to see you do the following things because that's what they expect from you. Versus having a sincere faith to live by faith and trusting a God that you continue to follow according to his ways. And let God do the work in that person's life. Be an encouragement to them as they grow. And how important it is. Why? Because it's going to have, some of these people who are straying, Paul says, it's going to turn aside to idle talk. In the new, the King James Version, you'll see the word, instead of idle talk, you'll see vain jangling. The meaning is to, to a meaningless babble. <laughs> You're just, you ever been around a Christian who's just wrapped up in legalism and they just babble along, but they really don't say anything? There's nothing meaningful that's going to be encouraging, let alone loving and, and by faith or, or even sincere. That's what Paul says here. This is what's going to take place. We need to avoid these things, my brothers and sisters. And he, Paul noticed at the end of that verse there in verse 7, understanding neither what they say nor the things which they affirm. The problem is the people in Ephesus did, did not even understand the implications of their own teachings that they were teaching out there. They were just teaching because it was getting a flock to come to them. They were getting people to follow them. They were getting all this prestige and notary and, and treated like royalty because they had a following after them. They didn't even know what to do. They were putting people under the law and they didn't even know they were putting them under the law versus grace. And unfortunately today, we not only have these idle talkers and teaching and preaching of the word of God, but we also see it in one other place. We see these people bringing people under the law or swaying away not only in the teaching and preaching, but also in the music. We see people who are put in positions of a spiritual position of leading people to worship. They stray away from the truth of God. Far too many songs that are sung in churches today are not only teach no doctrine, but many teach false doctrines. And so I sit there and I see, I go, a singer has no more right to sing a lie than a teacher had to teach a lie. Because it's a spiritual position. Do, are you with me? So I don't like listening to music and, and we watch very carefully and, and, and Mark and I, we are like-minded we watch everything we can before we put it on the, on the radio or we sing it in the congregation. We do not want music that goes against the sound teaching of God. And that the teaching leads you to think of God, to, to think leads you to, to Christ, to think about heavenly things, not of, the, of yourself. <laughs> That's the last thing I want you to do as you're worshiping is to think about yourself. You're supposed to die of yourself. Are you with me? It's not complex. But so many radio stations, I listen to songs and I go, that's a Christian radio station? Click. 
<laughs> it's time to scan. I gotta find someone else or put a CD on because you cannot listen to the false doctrine that is some of these of these some of these music that's put out today. So again, like Paul, Paul's warning Timothy, I'm warning you, my brothers and sisters. Be very careful. Verse 8. But we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. <laughs> Knowing this, now it's going to get tight here. I know it's going to be uncomfortable for possibly some who are listening to this. But know this, Paul says, that the law is not made for a righteous person. <laughs> a person who obeys God's word doesn't need to be reminded. Doesn't need to know the law. If you, if you just automatically just said, I'm going to obey the law of the speed limit... You wouldn't have to have signs up there to remind you of the speed limit. Anyway, we'll go back here. That the law is not made for a righteous person, but for the lawless and in the insubordinate. That's who needs the law. For the ungodly and for the sinners. For the unholy and profane. For the murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers. For manslayers. For fornicators. For sodomites. For kidnappers, for liars, for perjurers. And if there is any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine. Now, these 14 things that Paul kind of highlights are these types of people who are going against the word of God, against the sound doctrine. That is who you are. And I know some are like, that's more than one for me. That speaks to of multiple things of me. But most of you, if not all of you here, is saying, that used to be me, but it's no longer me. I have been set free. Thank you, Jesus, for setting me free. You've given me a new life. Now, this is not the only place Paul kind of gives this kind of a list here. He does it in a few other places uh, in the scripture. Um, and you can go back to Mark 7, Romans 1, Galatians 5. Go back. It's an additional listing. Because some of you may say, I'm not on that list. I must be just fine. Now there's more of a list in the scriptures. Go back and read some of those. And you probably will find yourself that you're part of one of them. Or you continue to celebrate you've been set free from all of them. But we see here the purpose of the law is to show us our sin. We are guilty before God and we need to be saved. We need to be set free. We need our, the sin to be paid for. And I broke the law of God and does not lead us to righteousness because the law will not lead you and I to righteousness. Why? Because Galatians chapter 3 verses 24 and 25 says so. It says, therefore the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. But after faith has come, we no longer under a tutor. Why? Because we have the Holy Spirit dwelling within us, and the Holy Spirit is the one working and convicting us and correcting us and changing us and helping us to grow and mature in our faith. We no longer need the law. We just need God working in our life. We need to stay in his presence tightly and abiding in him, and he will do that work. It wasn't made for the righteous person who walks by faith according to Galatians chapter 3, verse 11. 
It says, but that no one is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident. For the just shall live by faith. The idea is that law has nothing to say to the righteous person. But it definitely speaks especially to the ungodly, the unsaved one. False teachers did not understand the content of the purpose of God's law. They didn't understand it. They were saying, doing all kinds of things, but they didn't understand God's law and the purpose of God's law. They were leading believers out of the liberty of grace that we see mentioned in Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. And into the bondage of legalism, which happens so, so prevalent today. You know, the flesh, the old nature, loves religious legalism. Oh, it loves religious legalism. Why? Because you can then see what the rules and regulations are, and in it, you can try to appear to keep those rules and regulations so that you become and appear to others that you're more holy than others. Do you know that? Because, you can, because it doesn't require you to biblically change and the change to take place in the heart. You on the outside look really religious. Your words that you use sound really religious. Who you hang around, you pick and choose, and they're very, like you, very religious. But there's no love. There's no, no willingness to allow God's word to transform your mind, let alone change your heart biblically. Because you're meeting the rules and regulations, the, the things that you've decided on, the easy stuff. I go to church every Sunday. Do you? You don't? Hmm. I only hang around people who go to church every Sunday. That's legalism. Did you read through the whole word of God all year round, all throughout the year, once a year? You know you need to do that, don't you? You didn't? Hmm. I only hang around people who read through the word of God all. Do you see what I'm saying? It's so subtle that we have to be very careful. Yes, we want to encourage people to read the word. We want to encourage people to pray. We want to encourage people to fellowship together at church and to serve God. But don't let it become legalism. Just be a servant of all. But we noticed here that these following lists are contrary to sound doctrine. They're going against the word of God. They must understand as you live your life, you must understand as well when a sinner believes on Jesus Christ, he is freed from the curse of the law, Galatians 3, verses 10 through 14. And that the righteous demands of the law are met by the indwelling Holy Spirit as believers yield to the Spirit of God in their lives. We see that in Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 4. 1 through 4. But Paul here is saying, for the law and the, the lawless and the insubordinate, for the ungodly and for the sinners, he goes down this list. Understand that Paul's mind is about sound doctrine. 
and right conduct. And the two of those go together. Let me say it very simply, my brothers and sisters. When you're in sound doctrine, then you will have sound conduct, behavior, that aligns with the sound doctrine. They go together. They're not two separate things here. So if you say, yes, I follow the word of God, but your behavior, your conduct does not line up with that, you're wrong. <laughs> you're, you've been deceived. You're just like the, those in Ephesus. You've been taught something that is not correct, and we want to encourage you. You must change biblically to line up to a sound doctrine. And make sure it's sound doctrine. Right? Make sure it's sound doctrine. Make sure you can see it in the word of God. If anything I say does not line up, you research. You go back and research. I give you as much as I can of all the things I teach, all the scriptures that support it. It's your job to solidify that that is true and accurate according to the word of God and solidify it and know that it's sound doctrine. And by God's mercy, <laughs> grace, mercy, and peace, right? God's mercy, I will not sway ever, ever, ever from the word of God so that I'm not teaching you something falsely. That is... Why? Because I know I'm going to be judged more harshly. And we end here. Apparently, the sinful environment that Timothy is going to deal with as a pastor in Ephesus shows another clear reason why he needed to stay there. Because this is what happens. When the things get really tough in the, misery, the ministry, because it's not easy to be in the ministry. When things get tough, you'll have a tendency, even as a pastor, say, you know, this is a tough place to try to, to start it and help and build a church. I should go to a better place, a different place, where they're more apt to listen and more open to hearing the scripture. Do you know that? So here's Paul saying, Timothy, I know it would be so much easier to leave Ephesus and go to another city where the church is growing and that just there's a revival happening and, and everyone just wants to go to church and everything is good and there's no there's that that state is so biblically state is so, it's a red state. It's such a better state to go to. I've heard that said so many times. It's insanity to me. It makes me nauseated now to hear that one more time. Paul is saying to Timothy, this state, this city, this Ephesus is so blue. That is why I need you to stay there. Because they need the gospel more than anybody else. Because the workers are few, my brothers and sisters. Do you realize how few? There are pastors teaching the word of God in the North Country. Do you know how many congregations are not fed the word of God, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book. There are weak sheep out there. And I need you to go and take what you're learning and go out and feed and disciple and encourage your brothers and sisters that you know to get in the word of God. 